It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Second and eight. Again, it's going to be major breaking a tackle at the 10, and he'll skip into the end zone. Touchdown, Oklahoma from 16 yards out. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk... By way of a 33-3 win over Kent State, Oklahoma moves up to number six in both the AP and the coaches poll this week. Nebraska is officially on the horizon as the next opponent, but we got to talk about this Kent State game. Uh, at the end of the day, everything was right. Everything was peachy. Everything was rosy. But getting to that point was a little bit of a journey as Oklahoma kind of had a mysterious first half. And we'll start there. What's up, everybody? This is the Sooner Nation Podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld. You can find us online every day, heartland-sports.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Um, another abbreviated version of the podcast, a shorter version. We'll be back to the regular full deal on Thursday as we preview Oklahoma and Nebraska. Uh, but we've got um, offense recap, defense recap, and then i got three questions. Three questions I want to know the answer to, and I'd love to know your opinion and your take on these three questions uh, following the first two games of the season. First four possessions of, for Oklahoma uh, against Kent State on Saturday night were punts. First four were punts. Second five possessions, five consecutive possessions, yielded four touchdowns and a field goal. And then the only scoring that happened after that was the safety that Oklahoma's defense uh, recorded. Now, how, how crazy was it that the official there didn't see the Kent State quarterback step out of bounds on the back of the end zone? There's no way that that safety should have gone to review, but <clears throat> that's just kind of, you know, that that's being picky there. Uh, if you're trying to find something to criticize there, uh, but um, you just kind of what what happened? I mean, then this isn't one of the three questions we're going to get to in, at the end of the podcast. But what happened? What what resulted uh, in that funky start that Oklahoma had uh, to this game? And it, it's almost the reverse vibe from from last week. Remember that you you get out to that very fast start against UTEP, three scores in your first three possessions, and then. And then Jeff Levy starts to kind of monkey around with things and toy around and try some things. And, and then this week it was it was clear that Kent State came in defensively with the idea that we're we're gonna if OU's gonna beat us, they're gonna beat us through the air. That was the same game plan that they had against Washington a week ago, and Washington thumped him through the air. But Jeff Levy, I think he kind of wanted strong on strong. I think he wanted to see. I've got I've got two starters out of my offensive line. I've got two running backs. One is a versatile guy. One is a power back. I want to see what they can do. They're trying to stop the run. Let's see if we can run. And the result wasn't good. And the takes were the takes were worse than the actual results of this game. Uh, that those first four drives, uh, because you got people calling for Dylan Gabriel to be benched. You got people calling for Marcus Major to jump in there and play ahead of Eric Gray. You got I mean you just 
Sooner Nation was in the midst of a a meltdown through the first 30 minutes of that football game. And then the second half took place. And it's the second half that you saw Jeff Levy say, okay, guys, let's let's put the foot on the gas, pedal to the metal, and let's run this thing. And you saw just, bam, it's, it's you know, 7-3, 14-3, 21-3, just bam, 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 bam. And then it's like, okay, we got, we got what we wanted out of this. But that first half, man, that first half was crazy. And the frustration level was, was kind of, you could feel the tension. And people are griping about the LED lights. They're griping about, I mean, they're griping about everything. But but then, you know, Marvin Mims says, I got you. Dylan Gabriel says, hey, guess what, guys? I really can throw the football. I really do know how to run this offense. And by the way, Eric Gray and Marcus Major ended out with uh, pretty good games as well. Eric Gray, 10 carries, 71 yards. Marcus Major, 5 carries, 38 yards. He had the touchdown. They, they both caught uh, one pass. And we'll jump into more Marcus Major, uh, Eric Gray stuff at the end of this podcast. But the end result for Oklahoma's offense was 430 total yards, 296 through the air, 134 rushing yards, averaged 7.15 yards per play. That's not bad. Now, you got to, you got to, I mean, there's no other option. You got to look at this as glass half full or glass half empty. Yeah, there, there's no middle ground here. I think glass is half full. Be, because I, I think it's just kind of, Jeff Lebby's still trying to figure some things out with what he can and can't do with this personnel. And, and, um, and, and you know, you got a new quarterback, you got a new running, a new starting running back. I just, I think Jeff Lebby knew what the game plan was. It was obvious early on what they were going to try to accomplish. And Levy was up to the challenge. He let let's do it. Now I think things get better next week because you got two guys coming back on your offensive line. You're going to get Morris back. You're going to get Congo back, and that's that's going to help some things out. And, and again, that's something else I think we're going to talk about here at the end of the podcast. But but at the end of the day, the, the end result was there: thirty-one points from your offense. You got five consecutive scoring drives. Do you know how many teams in the country? Wish that they could produce five consecutive scoring drives. Yeah, but Matt, it was it was it was Kent State. You shouldn't. That that's not a big deal to do that against Kent State. Okay, you know what? I bet Notre Dame. I bet they wish they had five consecutive scoring drives against Marshall. Right. I, I know Texas A and M wishes they could have had five scoring drives against Appalachian State. So I mean, take it for what it is. It, it, it was a it was a day that you saw some of the big bigger teams fall. And there's Oklahoma State. Oh, Oklahoma State. Oh my gosh, that's that's the taboo right there. That's the <laughs> that's the big no no. You saw Oklahoma take care of business. You saw Oklahoma handle and do what they had to do in this game to accomplish what they needed to accomplish. I think now, after two games, UTEP and Kent State, I think you the experiment part is over with. If you remember what we said after the UTEP game, I said that, hey, this participation report, it's going to shrink down. When you get to Nebraska, it's going to be a smaller number of guys that are playing. 
And when that when that participation report, when that when the number of guys that are getting in the game, when it's it, here's a good example. Ten guys caught a pass on Saturday. Ten guys. When when that's when that starts getting down, dwindling down. When the number of guys who run the football starts to dwindle down, when, when the when the number of guys who rotate in on the offensive line, when that starts to dwindle down, then your your game plan becomes more focused and readily available to do what you want to do. Like like they're going to go in, they're going to go into Lincoln, and they're not going to be experimenting. They're going to go into Lincoln knowing exactly what they can get with Eric Gray, knowing exactly what they can get with Marvin Mims, and they've shown. Through two games, they've shown this Nebraska defense, hey, Eric Gray, he can run for 100 yards. If, if, you, if you don't play to stop him, he can go for 100 yards. Oh, by the way, Marcus Major, the backup, he can average 7.7 yards a carry. So you got to pay attention to those guys. And when you do that, guess what? we got Marvin Mims, we got Drake Stoops. So he's shown enough between game one and game two to give Nebraska quite a bit to think about in the week of of changing coaches. There's enough film out there where the Nebraska defense is going to have to pick their poison. The question is, which way will they go with it? But at the end of the day, I I think you can scratch your head and you can say, man, that was weird. That first half was weird. But when it's all said and done with, you look at the end result and you got to be satisfied with, with what you got out of it. I think people who played the point spread, probably not happy. But I, I told you uh, in the preview podcast, I didn't think Oklahoma would cover that spread. They got really close. They got really close. I didn't think they'd cover it, though. And I told you to take the under. Now, I'll, I'll readily admit it didn't go the way I thought it would go. I thought all the tinkering and toying with personnel and all that stuff would take place in the second half. By the way, when is Davis Bevel going to be able to throw a pass? Maybe that's something we can talk about at some other time. I don't know. But you kind of you have to think that the 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 time for Davis Bevel to get game experience that 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 clock is ticking, and he's got in two games now and hasn't been able to throw a pass yet. But I mean, look, it it didn't go the way I thought it would go, but it got the end result that I expected, which was a blowout win, where you don't cover the point spread, and you hit the under. So I, I've got no complaints. By the way, Marvin Mims has got to be your, your offensive player of the game, right? Seven catches, 163 yards, two touchdowns. You really can't go a different direction. Let's talk about the defense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oklahoma holds Kent State to under 300 total yards of offense. The Golden Flash is just managing 295, 
131 of that coming through the air, 164 on the ground. And that's really where I was surprised. If, um, I, I said, if you listen to the pregame podcast, I thought the, the Kent State offense was set to try to vertically challenge Oklahoma's secondary, a secondary that looked a little bit a little bit hesitant in the zone defense as they were covering UTEP receivers short. I thought that they would try to challenge them, stretch them, go long. Completely wrong on that because you had 54, um, 50, excuse me, 52 rush attempts to just 21 pass attempts. So 73 total plays of offense from Kent State and 52 of those 73 plays were on the ground. Completely blew me away. And, and the end result was, was absolutely a net positive for the University of Oklahoma. Not only did they hold Kent State to three points, but the Sooner defense held Kent State to just 6 of 16 on third down conversions, 0 for 1 on fourth down. And then they turned them over twice. You got the interception. Uh, by the way, good for you, Justin Harrington. You got the interception. You got the fumble recovery. And, and this defense, it's, it's really time to start talking about how good this defense can be. Because I, I think they're going to get stronger, barring injury. You're going to see them get stronger as the year progresses, as they learn more of what Ted Riff and Brent Venables want from them, as they get a little bit more comfortable. And, and like I said last week, as they begin to kind of uh, move the Alex Grinch out of their system and replace that with what Brent Venables and Ted Riff are bringing to them in the area of, of just being relentless and being aggressive, it all starts up front with this defense. And for the second week in a row, we saw this defense completely dominate at the line of a scrimmage. I mean, at the point of attack, Sooners got 14 tackles for loss, three sacks. So in two games, this Oklahoma defense has produced 19, uh, 19, I wish. In, in two games, this Oklahoma defense has produced nine quarterback sacks. So you're averaging four and a half quarterback sacks per game, which is really good because you're going up against a mobile quarterback next week in Casey Thompson. And one thing we know about Casey Thompson from his days at Texas last season is a clean pocket Casey Thompson is pretty dangerous. But if you don't give him a clean pocket, once he starts to take on some hits, once he has to start scrambling and running for his life a little bit, accuracy begins to take a nosedive. And decision-making begins to kind of turn a little bit south. But I was blown away, just completely blown away by Kent's approach to this game. Because you saw them just absolutely... uh, Oklahoma's defense, that is. You saw them just absolutely dominate UTEP up front a week ago. And then you're thinking, hey, our best our best option here, our best option here is just to run the ball. We're going to attack this defensive front. And it didn't work. But here's what this was. This was in response to Oklahoma's fast-paced offense. Well, you've got Kent State thinking, you know, we don't want to get beat by 70 points. So we're going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball and run the ball because we're not going to win this game, but we're going to collect a million and a half dollars. And then we'll jump back in, you know, get ready for conference play here in a little bit. And we've, we've you know, we've been tested. We've been strengthened. We've been beaten. You know, we, we're ready. You go on the road, you play Oklahoma. You go on the road, you play Washington. That, that makes Ohio a little bit easier to, to, to fend off there in the MAC. But that's what this was. This was, this was about not losing by 100 points. This was knowing you were already going to dominate the time of possession based on what off Oklahoma's offense does and how quickly they can score. So how do you counter that? 
You counter it by chewing up clock, keeping that offense off the field, and the clock becomes your friend. If you're if you're a 30-plus point underdog, the clock is your friend. Because at that point, it's very seldom can you win this game. It's more of how how what's the narrowest margin you can lose by. But, I mean, Oklahoma's defense, holy cow, guys. They're going to get better. But it all starts up front. And, and I think you got to be a little bit concerned that they haven't been tested vertically. Because I think that's coming next week. And, and Nebraska is in complete disarray right now. We'll talk about that Thursday. But I, 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 they're going to test Oklahoma vertically. And so if, I'm, if I am Brent Venables, if I am Ted Roof, and I'm looking at my defense, I'm doing a lot of vertical routes this week. I'm, I'm sending Marvin Mims. I'm sending Theo Weiss. I'm sending Drake Stoops. Whoever, I'm sending them down the field. Because I think that's what, that, that's what Nebraska is going to do. Now, they've got, a, they've got a huge tight end that can kind of come across the middle, that can get in the seam. And he's going to be – going again, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but I'm, I'm really curious what happens at the cheetah position next week. Justin Harrington or Deshaun White, because that tight end is a legitimate threat. But I do think you have to have a, a little bit of a concern, a little bit of a question mark – that this defense hasn't been stretched. But the good news is, is that to go vertical, you need time. And Reggie Grimes and company, the one thing they're showing is that they're not really about giving a quarterback time. Yeah, three guys that really stood out in Oklahoma's defense. I mean, a stellar performance all around. I think you can criticize the offense, and, and there's we, we talked about that, that first half and those first four drives, and you, and you can criticize them. You can question them. You can, you can scratch your head at them. But, man, what this defense did, I, I don't think you can be critical of what they have done through the first two weeks of the season, and you absolutely can't be critical towards what they did on Saturday night. Danny Stutzman, 12 tackles. Justin Broyles in full time there with and the with uh, Key Lawrence being a little bit dinged up. Justin Broyles eleven tackles. Billy Bowman eleven tackles. By the way, according to, to Brent Venables, Key Lawrence should be back against Nebraska next Saturday. But the thing that set Danny Stutzman aside, I mean, I get it. Billy Bowman, Justin Broyles, they're they're defensive backs, right? Those are your safeties. But you got to you got to talk about. Their run support, and you got to talk about the sure tackling that they that they provided. Because it, to me, as a fan of this program, the biggest difference post Lincoln Riley is their tackling. I mean, this team is tackling. It's it's technique. It's it's, it's sound. It's form. They're grabbing. They're not just trying to lower the boom and get that big moment. I mean, to them, the most important thing is that that running back, that receiver, that he comes to the ground. It doesn't matter how I get him there. If I destroy him or if I just grab onto him and hold on for life until somebody else comes, he's got to, he has to get down. And you're seeing that from this, this defense across the board. But you got double-digit tackles for three players on Oklahoma's defense. But you got to look at what Danny Stutzman did behind the line of scrimmage as well. I think he becomes my 
defensive player of the game for just, just this reason only. Because Justin Burroughs, he you can you can make a case, defensive player of the game. Billy Bowman, you can make a case, defensive player of the game. But when you look at leading the team with 12 tackles, and then four of those are tackles for loss and a sack, it's hands down Danny Stutzman. He's your defensive player of the game, hands down. Now the, the challenge for Oklahoma fans is to not get too high on this defense right now at this moment. Because it's been all good. Across the board, it has been all good. You got three turnovers through the first two games of the season. They've only given up one touchdown through the first two games of the season. Uh, I mean, they're, they're dominating the line of scrimmage through the first two games of the season. But those opponents have been UTEP and Kent State. Now the schedule changes. Now the page flips, and you're playing Power 5 opponents throughout. A little bit heavier on the offensive line, a little bit more physical with the running backs, a little bit uh, more athletic with the quarterbacks. So it changes for this defense. And while you're satisfied with, with what's happened, you got, you got to understand the context of how it's happened. And if they go out and they, they dominate the line of scrimmage against Nebraska, that's something to be said. Because the problem with Nebraska hasn't been really their offense. The problem with Nebraska has been what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. This is an offense that can score points. And they can move the ball pretty quickly. So you go out and you do this type of performance against Nebraska, then, then we can really start talking about how good that this defense is going to be. But as Nebraska approaches, you close the door on Kent State, I think there's three things. I've got three questions that I'm not 100% sure on the answer. And we'll get to those next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So just to reiterate, no true or false questions again uh, for this episode. I'm sorry about that. We'll jump into that for sure. I promise you. For sure, Thursday, true or false returns as we get ready to preview Oklahoma and Nebraska. But I, I do have three questions uh, that I wanted to throw out here. And you can, just like true or false, you can add your take. You can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. You can hit us up uh, on the website, heartland-sports.com. All of our um, all of our podcast pages, or all of our podcasts have its own page at the website. Um, and you can, you know, if you want to go old school and just send me an email, um, yeah, you can do that as well. Heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. All right, three questions. Uh, that I, I don't know the answer to as Oklahoma turns the page uh, and gets ready to play against Power 5 competition throughout the rest of the season. And the first question is just simply this. Who's the number two wide receiver for Oklahoma? Who is it? Because, I mean, Marvin Mims has made the, the case that that first two drives against UTEP, the second half against, uh, against Kent State, you see Marvin Mims is the guy. He is that guy that is the field stretcher, that find a way to get it open down the sideline or in the seam. He is number one. 
No doubt about it. No question. You can't even debate it. There's really even not any competition for this. But who's number two? I said earlier that 10 players caught a pass in this game against Kent State on on Saturday night. Three of those 10 players are running backs. So your running back can't be wide receiver number two. Two of those guys are your tight ends, H-backs. So they, they can't be tight. They can't be wide receiver number two. And you really don't want them to be. Because if you have a, a good number two, all that's going to do is make Daniel Parker a, a little bit more dangerous. If you have a good solid number two, now that's going to make Braden Willis just a little bit more dangerous. By the way, I, two things real fast for you to kind of sidecar, you know, timeout, deviate from the norm here and talk about the fact that Braden Willis had some, I mean, he was opposite of what we saw in game one. Still open, still has the potential for big plays, but I mean, he had some crucial drops in this game. And, and there was criticism of Dylan Gabriel. I don't get it. 100, uh, you know, was 75% completion percentage, 21 of 28. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how you can criticize a guy who completes seventy five percent of his passes. I mean, look, if he if he throws for two hundred ninety six yards, and he's got a fifty percent completion percentage or below, then maybe you open the door for criticism. But seventy five percent is pretty good, especially when you consider Braden Willis had some key drops. I mean, Braden, think about it. If, if, if Braden Willis catches one of those passes that he drops, if he catches one of those passes, then Oklahoma has a 300-yard passer as it is. Just one. Big 12 announces that Dylan Gabriel is the uh, Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. 75% of his passes were completed, 296 yards, and yet you got a portion of the fan base going, is this really our guy? Can this guy really run the offense? I think if we're going to be critical, I mean, I, and I'm going deeper into this than I wanted to. I think if we're going to be critical, it's going to be on the offensive line. And we'll jump at, back to the task at hand, which is who is wide receiver number two? I, I think there's two candidates here. It's got to be either Theo Weiss or Drake Stoops. I think Jalil Farouk has moved out of the equation. But so it's got to be Theo Weiss or Drake Stoops. And, and I think Drake Stoops at this point of the season is, is making more plays than Theo Weiss. But Theo Weiss has that higher ceiling, has greater potential. But it's got to be one of those two guys. But I, I think the way it is right now, I think the way it stands is that if I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm, I'm working on my secondary uh, Marvin Mims is the guy who's getting the most of my attention. And I think, I think at this point, it has to be Drake Stoops who gets the second most attention as a wide receiver. I mean, Theo Weiss hasn't been bad, but he's not been spectacular. Drake Stoops was spectacular. Think about that touchdown, diving, stretching the ball out over the pylon to get the score. That's a spectacular play. Had a big play on the first reception of the season against UTEP. So it has to be Drake Stoops, right? Just a thought. Who is, who is number two?
Can't it can't be Parker? It can't be Willis. Obviously, not going to be a running back. So at least Theo Weiss or Drake Stoops sound off and let us know. Uh, here's the second one, and this is really kind of a trick question. It's this: Is the offensive line ready for Nebraska? Is the offensive line ready for Nebraska? And I think this is more in, in the area of they're dinged up. I mean, you don't have Congo, you don't have Wanya Morris. They're supposed to be back on Saturday um, against Nebraska, and that and that should strengthen some things. That should help this offensive running game get going a little bit more than what we saw in the first half against Kent. But I think really the question is, can they be ready for the Big 12? Because when we talk about Nebraska, the challenge for Nebraska, if Oklahoma struggles – to move the ball against this Nebraska defense, then Oklahoma is legitimately in trouble on the road in Lincoln. Because Nebraska can score points. This will not be a shutout victory for Oklahoma. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. Nebraska will score more points than what Oklahoma has allowed uh, in any game this season. Obviously, it's only two games. But I'm saying they're going to score more, obviously, than Kent, which is three. And they're going to score more than UTEP, which was, what, 13? Oh, he's not going to hold Nebraska to 13 points. I, I think I, I would be happy to be wrong about that. I just don't think I am. But on the flip side, the problem is Nebraska's defense just gives it all up. I mean, on 700 yards, right? Think about that. And the loss to Georgia Southern, 700 yards. That's incredible. So Oklahoma's offense should just kind of just be a track meet on Saturday. So I don't really know that you're worried about Nebraska as far as the defensive front. But you look at what's after Nebraska. I mean, you, you get three of the best defensive lines in the Big 12 after Nebraska. Kansas State, you're on the road at TCU. You play Texas. And I know we like to have a lot of fun with the Longhorns. And, and I was counting me in as one of those guys who was happy to see him lose on Saturday. But that defensive front's for real for Texas. And it could be that Alabama is just trash with their offensive line. That, that could be the case. But they that defensive front looked pretty good for Texas. So I, I think getting Wanya Morris back, getting Robert Congo back, and having those guys with a good uh, game under their belt on the road in Lincoln, I think that goes a long way. Towards being answering the question, are they ready for the Big 12? I, I think the way they are now, yeah, they're ready for Nebraska. But what's after Nebraska? Will they be ready for that? All right, here's my third question. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I can't remember who submitted this. But I'm kind of like um, tag teaming off of one of the true or false statements. And, the true, and it's along the lines of the other running backs. And it's, it's, should Marcus Major be RB1? Should Marcus Major be Oklahoma's top running back? And, and look, they have defined roles. I mean, you, you know this. After two games, if you know football, you see these two guys have two distinct roles within this offense. Where Eric Gray is the all-purpose back, Marcus Major is that, that power back. But a lot, a lot of offenses like to run their power back first and second down, all-purpose back on third down because of what he can do in the passing game. Jeff Levy's choosing to do it opposite. And for the second week in a row, Marcus Major got half of the carries that Eric Gray did. And, I, and So that's not coincidence. That is by design. When, when you're half the number of carries of the other guy two weeks in a row, that's designed. It, it is designed that way. 
by, by the amount of playing time and the type of plays that are called when you're on the field. But I, this was a better game. I'm, in, in my opinion, this was a better game for Marcus Major um, and a better game for Eric Gray, for both of these guys, based off of the results. Now, they both were not used that much in, in, the, uh, in the passing game. They had one catch each. But here, here's the thing. Hear me out. Don't, don't just hang up on me or, or stop listening because I know it was a struggle bus in the first half. And this is why I think it was by design because they weren't – Oklahoma's just going strength on strength just to see they get those offensive line guys tested, which really bothers me because they haven't done it with Davis Bevel. So you'll test your backup offensive tackle, throw him in the fire, but you won't test your backup quarterback. Hey, I'm sorry, that, I'm, again, I'm chasing a rabbit here. But at the end result, Eric Gray improved his yards per carry – from week one to week two, he's 7.1 yards per carry against Kent State. And so you got all these people railing against Eric Gray, how he's not the guy, how he can't get it done, but yet he's averaging 7.1 yards per carry. Oh, but if you take away one big run, you take away a this, this, and that, then he doesn't have some point. Okay, fine. Take away four touchdowns and Oklahoma ties this game. Oh, no, they win it by safety. I mean, you can't, you can't twist the stats to fit your argument. The argument has to be based on what the stats are. And so you can't say Oklahoma's offense was trash on Saturday night. No, you can't say that. You can say for a half that Oklahoma's offense didn't play well. They were maybe trash for a a half. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma's offense was efficient and effective. And same thing about Eric Gray, 7.1 yards per carry. And here's the thing I think you really should be excited about. Marcus Major, who averaged 7.7 yards per carry a week before against UTEP, was on point with that again at 7.6 yards per carry. The the question is just, who should be number one? I'm staying with Eric Gray, and this is the only reason why. I don't think that we have seen fully how Jeff Levy wants to use Eric Gray in this offense. And I think that the answer to this question comes down to just trust. How much trust do we have in Jeff Levy? I mean, the guy, he knows what he's doing, right? He's got to know what he's doing. And I don't think we've seen um, Eric Gray effectively used in the passing game just yet. And there hasn't been a need to. We, we've talked about Eric Gray's a, looks a little bit more powerful than he did last year. We've, we talked about he's still shifty. He's still fast. I think he works better in this offense and has the ability to do more things than Marcus Major can do. But man, Marcus Major is looking, looking good. 7.7 yards per carry against UTEP. 7.6 yards per carry uh, against Kent State. It looks like Oklahoma has two effective backs. And that's got to be something that makes you happy. Big 12 rundown. I'll tell you where I was right, where I was wrong on predicting Big 12 games over the weekend. And then that'll be it for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Big thanks to everybody who listens to the Sooner Nation podcast. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Uh, again, you can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. You guys are amazing. Uh, please like and subscribe uh, to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you're feeling good about it, uh, give us a positive rating uh, on that rating scale. It really means a lot to us and helps us out. Um, Big 12 rundown real fast. Again, you had the garbage game, the trash game, uh, Tarleton, uh, TCU, 59-17. The Horned Frogs roll on that one. Uh, we didn't really take time to uh, to talk about that Thursday night. Now, I did tell you, take Texas and the 20 and a half points. I, I told you that. I It made me sick to my stomach to say that, but I did, and Texas was right. I mean, that, that, that game worked out exactly. If you're an Oklahoma fan like me and you had the points like me, then that game was exactly the way you wanted it to be. It ended with Texas getting their hearts broken, but also you covering that 20 and a half points, Bama 19 to 20 over Texas. I was wrong, completely wrong about Baylor uh, down in BYU. I don't know why I gave the Bears so much credit. Because I actually have them ranked pretty low on our Big 12 power rankings, but I just thought, man, this is it. I mean, this is this is the Dave Aranda type game. It's a, it's a physical team against a physical team. I thought it would get kind of ugly, kind of nasty. And it actually was a good game going into to the overtimes. But BYU comes away 26-20 over Baylor. I I'm, I totally missed that one. Um, I thought. Arizona State at Oklahoma State would be closer than what it was. It was a 17-point game. So I'm going to say I was wrong on that. I think that the line was, if I remember right, the line was 11.5, and, and I had Arizona State covering that 11.5. I had Oklahoma State winning, so I get that point, but I still I thought it would be closer. I, you've got to give um, – I hate to say this, but we got to give Oklahoma State's defense some credit. Now, that could have been some dysfunction from the Arizona State offense. I don't know that it was, but um, – Emory Jones didn't do the damage that I expected him to do against this Cowboys secondary that just gave up the farm a week before to Central Michigan. So a better look for Oklahoma State. They, they still looked effective uh, offensively. They, they looked dangerous offensively. Now, they looked more under control and balanced and understanding of assignment. I guess assignment sound defensively. So that was a step forward for Oklahoma State. Sooners and the Cowboys, by the way, are your top two uh, high, your top two highest ranked teams in the Big 12. Um, again, I was wrong. Uh, Texas Tech and Houston, I thought the Cougars would win this game. I thought Houston being a four-point underdog was basically free money. Um, and, uh, you know, Texas Tech wins this game 33-30. to 30. Um, and I sorry, a four point favorite, not underdog. Uh, Texas Tech wins thirty three to thirty, and uh, blew me away because uh, again, a good game. I, I call it to being a fun game, a good game, but that's a that's a good win for Texas Tech, who again I have not had ranked very highly on my Big Twelve power rankings, but uh, the Red Raiders will be taking a step forward this week on the power rankings. Um, Missouri, Kansas State, um, totally overestimated Missouri. Uh, Kansas State's one of my sleeper teams in the Big 12. Totally overestimated Missouri. I thought they would be better than what they are. Now, Kansas State's pretty good. Uh, and we all know Deuce Vaughn is that man for the Wildcats. But holy cow, that was a bad performance by the Missouri Tigers. Uh, Iowa State, Iowa had absolutely no redeeming value to it at all. I, if, you, if you don't live in the state of Iowa, or if you're not an alumni of one of these two universities, you probably didn't watch this game, and you're probably thankful that you didn't watch this game. Iowa State 10-7 to over Iowa, and I totally nailed this one. I, I called it, 
I told you, you know, Iowa State was going to win this game. They were the underdogs. I told you it was going to be ugly. And I told you it was going to be low scoring. And that's exactly what it all was. I kind of get a trifecta there. I also had Kansas plus 13 and a half at West Virginia. And man, I, I'm just as surprised as you are that the Jayhawks won this game. But keep in mind, I've been talking about the Jayhawks. Keep in mind, I've been touting them as being a much improved team from what they have been. And they got something in Lance Leopold. But now, here's the thing. If I'm Nebraska, I'm paying close attention to what Lance Leopold is doing in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm paying really close attention to that. And if I'm Kansas, I've already extended the contract to Leopold. And I think... I think the Jayhawks did this preemptively because they knew, everybody knew Scott Frost was getting fired. I mean, everybody knew this. So they preemptively extended Leopold. But if you're a school like Nebraska, you have the budget and you have the base uh, to go out and get whoever you want, uh, regardless of what the buyout is. But Lance Leopold definitely has something going there, 55 to 42. uh, On the road at West Virginia, where I had them covering, had no idea they would win this game. That said, I think we're seeing the beginning of the end uh, for Mr. Brown there uh, in Morgantown. And, and that's, that's a bad look, man. That's a bad look to, to lose uh, a heartbreaker, um, you know, uh, to start the season against Pitt in, in, the, in the backyard brawl. Uh, and then to come home and lose in overtime. By the way, you, you <laughs> very rarely does this happen, but... West Virginia was outscored 13 to nothing in overtime. Very rarely, if you understand how overtime works, that should be impossible, except for one one way. And that Kansas did it the, the, the one way. You get you get the, your first your opening score, and then you get the pick six, and you walk away 55 to 42 over the Mountaineers. So good for you, Kansas. Good for you. Happy, happy for those up in Jayhawk Land. All right, that's gonna be it for us. We'll be back Thursday. We'll re we'll um We'll preview Oklahoma and Nebraska. Until then, hit us up online, harlan-sports.com. Have a fantastic week, everybody.